before we start, I feel like I owe my regular listeners a bit of an explanation. I usually edit this show on Saturday evenings and put it out sometime in AM hours for Sunday morning. But because I am a regular migraine sufferer, I had a particularly bad one. So I had to push it off a day. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. You ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Queens and Rebels History Podcast, where I live. Uh, we're having a nice summer day. I feel like the first one of the season, and I already have three mosquito bites and these bugs have no shame because one is right on my knuckle i don't know how that happened of course as always i was walking my cat but it was honestly like two in the afternoon so i guess it's gonna be a vicious mosquito season i have no idea and i have some amazing news i am finally eligible for the vaccine so i got my first dose appointment in about two weeks i'm super excited the whole family is gonna be fully vaccinated by september so of course that's exciting and hopefully everyone can get their vaccine soon and we can Uh, get back to quote-unquote normal although I was telling my husband that I will never look at the salad bar in the same way again like COVID has changed my attitude towards that I feel like all salad bars need some sort of plastic or glass covering I don't need anyone sneezing or even breathing in that direction from now on I guess having um Wow, I'm having a blank. Uh, I cannot believe I forgot the word for hand sanitizer. There we go. It came back to me. Hopefully having hand sanitizers just as you enter places would be a thing. I think it's kind of nice. You don't spread a lot of germs that way. But I guess we'll see. And of course, I uh, hope people put on a mask when they have a flu because... I know, at least in my office, there were a couple of workaholics that would turn up and their eyes are puffy, the nose is runny, and they're just coughing away, especially in an open office. You can literally see like the cough particles fly around. It's gross. Um, So we will see if people's attitudes uh, change. I think they would after uh, the pandemic passes. I, of course, am excited, as I said, to see family that I haven't seen for a while. And my mom found out that I have this podcast, even though this is the 30th episode. I honestly thought my dad would have told her, but I guess he forgot. (laughs) Hi, mom, if you're listening. We are, of course, talking about the Jefferson sisters. So in part two, we talked more about Maria and gave a brief introduction to the conditions Jefferson's enslaved children would have grown up around. So we will continue the story of 
the Jefferson sisters and focus more on Sally Hemings' line, the unofficial Jefferson. I guess let's just jump in. And of course, this is a part three of the series. The conclusion. So if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, uh, please uh, do. Uh, But if you have listened to the previous two parts, I think we waited long enough uh, to talk about Sally Hemings' daughter. Uh, So let's just uh, jump right in. I don't want to, uh, I guess, blab on. I don't know why I'm giving such a long extended (laughs) introduction. Unlike many bachelors who openly claimed parentage in birth certificates and freed their enslaved children along with their mothers, Jefferson elected to keep his unofficial other family a secret. He remained tight-lipped about his relationship with Sally even after it was publicly exposed in 1802 in a Richmond recorder, and I will uh, quote a passage. Um, It is well known that the man whom it delighteth the people to honor keeps and for many years past kept as his concubine one of his slaves. Her name is Sally. By this wench, Sally, our president, has several children, unquote. Of course, they had to throw the word venge in. (laughs) Ten years later, a school teacher that visited Monticello also wrote a letter to his relative that the story about Sally is no farce. So it was not really a secret. I mean, he attempted to keep it so, but there was a poorly hidden secret. Uh, This uh, behavior was widely accepted in the South as long as the man was discreet and did not attempt to bring the children into his white family or uh, keep that relationship away from his wife if he had one. The newspaper article, though, did break a code of silence uh, that applied to these kind of relationships, often uh, non-consensual, I should say. There was uh, something different about this newspaper actually openly talking about Jefferson's relationship with Sally. Usually it would be a subject that people knew about but just didn't bring up in polite society, if you will. So Martha was quite distressed uh, by the article. And uh, she continued to be distressed by the allegations uh, that were true, that Jefferson and Sally had uh, children. So uh, they had uh, four children that survived, uh, three of them boys and one girl. Big disclaimer, I mentioned the name Beverly as being a Sally's sister, but it was actually her older brother. Harriet was the other Jefferson sister. She was raised by Sally, and raising her own children was a privilege that most slaves were not given. Of course, the girl had a much better lifestyle than the rest of the enslaved people on the plantation, but obviously lacked the kind of privilege uh, her white, uh, officially recognized uh, sisters were given. 
Sally uh, was given a log cabin at first and was later moved into the main house upon the completion of the south wing. Uh, we know that Harriet knew how to read and write. She would not have been taught literacy by her mother, but Sally would have uh, taught Harriet stitching and needlework, and that was a sign of a respectable wife at the time. Of course, we don't have an extensive record of uh, Harriet's education. Jefferson tended to be a hands-off uh, father when it came to that, but he would prepare a curriculum for his official daughters. Uh, no such a thing would have been done for Harriet, of course. Uh, she was an enslaved person, and she would not be supplied tutors or go to boarding schools. On top of that, female education um, in the, during the time was considered to be ornamental and unneeded. Harriet would have been expected to learn practical skills needed for a woman of the time, such as cooking, house management, sewing. So she did have an opportunity to pick those up living on a state. And it is unclear where Harriet picked up literacy. Like with many enslaved people, her life um, is unfortunately not well documented. Although she was the president's daughter, it just uh, speaks to the prejudice uh, that she faced. We do know that uh, her childhood ended abruptly at the age of 14 with Jefferson's decision to send her to work in the textile manufacturing. Well, I guess you could call it the plant uh, that he had on his Monticello estate. Uh, the textile manufacturing building uh, was located, well, I already said it was located on the state, so I'm repeating myself. Uh, so off to work she went, Harriet uh, would have intersected with her half-sister Martha, who often resided in Monticello and would have started her own uh, working day by directing slaves uh, to various tasks in the south wing of the house uh, where uh, the Hemming family resided. Of, uh, later on, Martha did permanently move into Monticello, I should mention. So Martha's idea of female education uh, was quite different from her father's, and uh, she actually strived uh, to provide her daughters with the knowledge in Latin, history, and sciences, something Jefferson would have sneered at as being unfeminine, uh, the education of Martha's uh, that Martha's daughters uh, received uh, was generally uh, remarkable for its time. Uh, so there is a possibility perhaps Harriet picked up literacy uh, from her nieces, at least while she was young and playing with them, but the family was quite uh, prejudiced uh, towards the Hemings, uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. In her early childhood, she was uh, observed by visitors playing with Martha's uh, kids, actually. But, of course, later on, um, the separation was uh, quite strict. The living quarters in Monticello were separated on several categories. The more obvious one is, of course, the freed rich owners and the enslaved, but they were also separated based on gender. 
The Jefferson Randolph clan had upstairs quarters while the house slaves were tucked away downstairs on the south side, away from the eyes of the visitors. Also, there were certain male spaces on uh, the estate uh, that uh, female uh, relatives were expected uh, to keep away from. In uh, this respect, Harriet had a little bit more freedom to move around, um, and I mean in respect uh, to gendered spaces, because she was expected to perform work. Um, she was not playing hostess to the estate's visitors or enjoying one-on-one -on -one time with her distant father. She was officially noted as a textile worker at the age of 14, but could have been working as early as the age of 10. Jefferson did note an unidentified spinning girl in his records that could have potentially been Harriet. Up until then, she spent time with her mom in the main house running errands, so at 10 or 14, um, it seems like a very young age to start working, uh, but even then she had more of a childhood than the rest of the enslaved children. And also uh, Jefferson's enslaved uh, sons uh, were apprenticing um, trades as well, arcs carpenters. Uh, this would have been unsuitable for a girl, uh, so uh, she was assigned uh, to spinning. A skill that is both a practical and respectable uh, for a woman at the time. It could have reflected um, Jefferson's vision for Harriet's future as a wife in a working class household. Textile production was an in-demand skill to have in the country since the U.S. severed their ties with Britain, on whom they previously relied to process their cotton. Uh, so at least he was attempting to equip her with a practical skill, one would assume. Harriet was uh, taught to use the spinning jenny rather than an old-fashioned wheel. This set her up as being a part of the Industrial Revolution. The spinning factory was uh, not under strict supervision, and Harriet would have been surrounded by young people around her age. There were eight girls and four boys in total. The supervision of the factory's output was one of Martha's duties. Under her watchful eye, the factory met the 2,000 yards per year production quota. Besides Martha's quick visits to make sure the work is flowing, the factory was supervised by a slave a woman called Cretia Hearn, one of the former spinners recalled it was a place of a free-flowing conversation and laughter. Uh, so comparing to other gigs, especially field work, it was not a bad place to be in. At least slaves could socialize. Harriet's work was easier compared to others. She spun wool a material much easier to work with than flax or hemp, and it was also much softer on the hands. So this was Harriet's lot in life as decided by her father. While her white family's counterparts were learning musical instruments and Latin skills appropriate for upper-class ladies, she was learning skills useful for working-class women. Although destined for eventual freedom, Harriet was no stranger to knowing what it meant to be enslaved. 
When Harriet was 11, a runaway slave was brutally whipped and sold at Jefferson's orders. Even if she didn't directly witness the incident, she would have been aware of it. And even if she was sheltered from the harshness of slavery that most people experienced, she again would have been aware of the conditions that others lived in. It should come uh, to no surprise that Jefferson believed in the inferiority of women and non-whites to be a part of the natural order and of course Harriet was very much aware of those attitudes and of uh, the privilege that whiteness awarded people. She would have observed her friends and her own family spend their days toiling away and putting on show, a show of agreeableness uh, just to keep their families together and away from punishment. Her white relatives found Harriet's presence discomforting due to the rumors that circulated about uh, Jefferson's and Sally's relationship. They were embarrassed about Jefferson's close resemblance to his sons and tried their best to hide the fact that they were related to the, I quote, yellow children. And this is what Ellen Randolph uh, liked to call them. Uh, she is uh, Martha's daughter. Martha's kids uh, tried their best to explain away uh, the Hamming kids by suggesting uh, Sally fathered the children with Martha's cousin, Samuel Carr, and that's why they had a familial resemblance with Jefferson. Of course, we know this to be untrue due to a DNA test. The stories offered up by Randolph's were inconsistent and generally full of holes. Uh, they tried their best to present alternative facts basically also known as lies <laughs> despite growing up beside sally's children most of their lives the randolphs refused to even publicly name them claiming that they don't remember their names which was obviously a bs or simply referring to them as uh, slaves jefferson's legitimate descendants offered no sympathy or kindness to Beverly, Harriet, Madison, and Aston Hemings, their own relatives. They shared their grandfather's views in thinking that all enslaved were inferior, while the Jefferson Randolph clan was pretty vocal in their public lies and denials of Harriet's parentage. She herself actually never publicly spoke or left records about how she felt about her family tree or her treatment by the Randolph clan. Nor do we know how Sally felt about Martha's permanent move to Monticello. According to her brother Madison, Harriet's childhood was immeasurably happy and she grew up with a knowledge that she will be free on her 21st birthday. Working in a textile factory provided another benefit. She didn't have to serve any of her venomous relatives. Another important advantage Harriet had was her off-limits status when it came to sexual exploitation that was a present danger for the rest of the enslaved women. 
I mean, even her mother, Sally, was among those exploited women. At just 16, uh, she did not have much agency uh, to say no to Jefferson advances. Unfortunately, Sally suffered a huge blow to her dreams of uh, having her children near her. In 1806, a Virginian legislature mandated that freed slaves had to leave the Commonwealth within 12 months or be re-enslaved. And, of course, Sally was given a promise that all her children will be freed. So this meant when her children were to grow up, they had to leave her. As Harriet's 21st birthday and her imminent departure approached, she was not only faced with freedom, but a problem. Her male brothers could market their skills and find employment and lead a self-sufficient life. As an 18th century woman, working life pretty much equaled poverty, Harriet's best chance for a decent life would have been a successful marriage. Marrying to a man with money was a survival strategy for a lot of women. Of course, Harriet had to also contest with the slave system. Jefferson didn't actually provide her with official papers uh, while facilitating her departure, an asshole move. He uh, basically didn't officially free her. He just helped her escape. This meant if Harriet's identity was discovered, she would be re-enslaved. And because Virginian law perpetuated slavery through the maternal, maternal line, so would be any of her children. We do not know the exact date of her departure. It happened some time before her 21st birthday, but in 1822, records from Monticello no longer mention Harriet and her brother's Beverly's name, suggesting both siblings departed that year. Her younger brother, Madison, was only 17 and Aston 14 at the time, and they both stayed behind with their mother. This must have been a very emotional farewell for the family, knowing that Harriet would not be able to come back for a visit, so she had to depart permanently. It is not known where Harriet headed after leaving Monticello, but we do know where she ended up. One of the uh, overseers recalled, and I quote, By Mr. Jefferson's direction, I paid her stage fare to Philadelphia and gave her $50, unquote. And by the way, $50 is $5,000 in today's money, maybe. I don't know if the inflation calculator is actually correct. It still seems kind of cheap on Jefferson's part, to be honest. He could shell out a bit more cash for his own daughter. At least Jefferson put some thought into her destination. Philadelphia was full of uh, abolitionist sentiment, and with a population of 64,000, it was easy to disappear into the crowd. Uh, We don't know what kind of preparations Jefferson made for her arrival in Philly, if any, but uh, it was clear that Harriet had different ideas about her own future, 
she uh, did not want to be a poor weaver and she took charge. Uh, according to her brother, she actually traveled uh, to Washington City, uh, notably a place without a textile industry, a skill that her father uh, trained her in. There is uh, no evidence that Harriet ever visited Washington or even left Monticello for that matter beforehand. However, she was not a total stranger to the city. A number of her friends and family members had their own friends and family in the city, uh, and slaves and ex-slaves formed intricate and interconnected social networks in order to support each other. So it is definitely a possibility Harriet was having a, to a city with some knowledge of it and uh, had been connected to someone there. Uh, most importantly, her brother Beverly Hemming went to Washington and uh, he actually tried to pass for a white man. The Hemming siblings were a mixed race, uh, but uh, could be interpreted as white in their ethnicity. A white passing was a practice uh, that was a survival strategy for those who could pull it off in order to escape slavery and discrimination. In the South, there were all kinds of attempts to categorize mixed-race people. There were at least 61 different phrases slave owners used in attempting to categorize skin tone. Um, wow. Even if white in appearance, people with one quarter of African ancestry were still considered to be people of color and were barred from participating in a legal life. And even those with less than one quarter were left in a legal limbo. They were basically raceless according to Virginia standards. And of course, this uh, spoke to a lot of white fears. Beverly uh, was a trained carpenter and cooper, uh, so he could make a decent living from his craft. And I'm not going to lie, I had to Google what the cooper does. Um, it's not a common trade these days, but apparently they make wooden barrels, tubs, buckets, stuff like that. And we do know that Beverly later married the white women from Maryland and her family was of a good circumstance, and I'm quoting um, Beverly's brother, which uh, would lead us to believe that uh, Beverly was also of good uh, circumstance, if you will. Otherwise, I don't think the family would have uh, wanted the daughter to marry lower than her social uh, standing. Another account of a Monticello slave notes that Beverly launched a hot air balloon in Petersburg during the 4th of July celebration in 1834. Well, actually, we do not know it if it was our Beverly exactly, but most likely the assumption would be the slave was talking about Beverly Hemming. And again, uh, this would lead us to believe that he had the time and the money for this. Uh, so uh, he was uh, financially successful. Uh, now we have already talked about Harriet's uh, circumstances. And they differed from her brothers. Uh, she could not be financially successful as a single woman. She had to find stability through marriage. Her brother Madison later recalled that Harriet, uh, as a survival plan, also decided to pass for white. 
and was actually never discovered. Uh, she was described as very charming, uh, attractive, and well-mannered. The racist uh, Southern society easily assumed uh, that the refined manners were exclusively inherited by white people. So uh, they would have assumed Harriet uh, to be white. And uh, based on that assumption, uh, she was able to successfully, I guess, sustain her charade. Furthermore, uh, she had uh, the wardrobe to support her white passing. Jefferson uh, always instructed Martha to close the hemmings well. So luckily, Harriet never had to wear the coarse uh, shapeless rags that would have instantly given her away. Uh, while Harriet's uh, departure from Monticello was planned and it didn't shock anyone, it caused a big stir in the surrounding uh, town of uh, Charlottesville. And uh, where I'm from, we have uh, a saying, the smaller the town, the bigger the gossip. And I think it actually universally applies to everywhere. So bored rural folk needed entertainment and basically couldn't help but gossip. This was an unusual move on Jefferson's part, which further fueled the speculation that she was her, his daughter, because to let go of a young, healthy woman at the height of her reproductive power was highly unusual. It feels gross to refer to human beings as renewable resource, but that's how slave owners viewed enslaved women. They were seen more as more valuable, particularly due to the fact that they could produce more slaves and were less likely to get emancipated. But even uh, so, uh, Harriet was let go, and she was stuffed in the uncomfortable cramped coach that would have taken three days uh, to reach Washington. She arrived to a world of possibilities, uh, freedom, and, of course, danger of being discovered. It would have been in Harriet's interest uh, to blend in and leave as little trace as possible, this, of course, adds to the difficulty of tracing her life. One can only imagine the sense of wonder and nervousness that must have filled Harriet upon her first time seeing the hustle and bustle of the city. Washington was newly rebuilt after being burned by the British, with Capitol Hill being clearly visible from Pennsylvania Avenue, and this was the, where the coach stopped. The avenue itself was filled with a variety of stores ranging from groceries, apothecaries, uh, to fancy luxury goods. Again, of course, there's no way to know how she really felt about the city. It was a giant uh, construction zone at the time that would take years to complete. One thing we can safely assume is her awareness that those universal rights her a father often defended were meant for whites only. She would have to upkeep others' presumption of her whiteness, and that must have been emotionally exhausting. It is reasonable to also believe that Harriet and Beverly would have been in contact, and they both had an advantage of not having their slave owner looking for them. And since they were both passing for white, we can also assume they would have invented a new family history as they could no longer be connected to the Hemming name. 
it was also possible to post an anonymous a newspaper advertisement highlighting skills that a young lady in search of employment possessed and interested employers would then be directed to a local bookseller who would put them in touch uh, with uh, that uh, young lady. Uh, so um, it is also possible Harriet could have seeked employment, even though textile industry was not developed in the city, she uh, could still uh, sue. And it is already mentioned uh, that Harriet was considered to be beautiful, and that was a significant advantage on the marriage market. Her good manners and sewing skills were appealing to middle-class sensibilities. She did not have family connections, of course, or a large dowry on her side, but the city provided more opportunities to find a husband who did not care for such things as long as his bride presented herself as a respectable woman. Her brother Madison did disclose that Harriet married, I quote, a white man of good standing, unquote, in Washington, but he refused to disclose the husband's name for obvious reasons. She did have kids and uh, passed as a freeborn white woman for the rest of her life. In 1940, Edna Jacks, a descendant of Elizabeth Hemming, was told uh, that uh, both white and black descendants of Jefferson ended up living in the same city. When she pressed for more details, she was told that Sally's and Jefferson's uh, daughter's family is prosperous, but the family secret was not divulged in detail. This is as far as the story went, so unfortunately, we cannot uh, really trace Harriet. Uh, Catherine Carrison, the author of the book, Jefferson's Daughters, uh, Three Sisters, White and Black in uh, Young America, where I got uh, my research from, actually presented several uh, very interesting possibilities uh, for Harriet's newly constructed identity. She cross-referenced uh, marriage uh, census and baptismal records, uh, but I won't go into detail about that here. So uh, please read the book. It was actually extremely well done and very interesting. Again, uh, there is a whirlwind of uh, facts that I've omitted because I've uh, solely focused on the three sisters. And um, none of the possibilities uh, presented by uh, Catherine Carrison are definite. Um, the truth is, we just do not know. The reason for Harriet's uh, decision uh, to pass uh, for white were obvious. And of course, uh, they came with the cost of uh, fracturing away from her loving family and uh, having a burden of a secret uh, that she had to uh, keep for herself. As a result, we lost any records of her since she would have invented a new identity. We have talked about Martha at length, I feel, uh, Martha Jefferson, the official uh, and only surviving daughter. But uh, to conclude this series, I uh, will briefly return to her since we have not uh, talked about the later years of her life. Martha, although well-educated, was not a rebel. Uh, she conformed to her father's uh, patriarchal ideas uh, of gender roles. 
She was a mother of 12 children uh, that loved her, but her home life was made difficult by her husband's uh, violent uh, outburst and bad temper. On July 4th, 1826, her beloved father and uh, main emotional support, uh, also financial support, had uh, passed away. By January of 1827, the content of Monticello estate was auctioned off to cover the massive debt left behind by Jefferson. He liked to live beyond his means. And uh, this, in turn, left uh, his daughter, Penelis. Martha left her husband behind and moved in with her daughter, Ellen. Uh, but she did return to her husband in uh, 1828, just in time to reconcile before his uh, death at the age of uh, 59. Monticello estate was uh, sold uh, in 1831 for uh, way less than its worth. And this left Martha homeless. Oh, to be fair, things were not as dire. She stayed with her children. So it's not like uh, she was penniless. Um, well, she was penniless, but she was not on the street. Uh, Martha passed away on October 10th, 1836, and was buried at the family graveyard plot at Monticello. And I feel it's only right to mention how Sally Hemings' life uh, turned out. Uh, Jefferson never officially uh, freed her, another asshole move, uh, but she did unofficially live as a free person. Uh, we don't know uh, when she died uh, again. This speaks to the prejudice attitude of the time. No one cared to record uh, the information on a slave woman, even if she bore the president uh, for children, for surviving children. Um, it was not until 1999 that a Jefferson's Hemming descendants, uh, well, those that can be traced uh, through the brothers uh, that didn't hold their life a secret, uh, were invited to a meeting of uh, Monticello Association uh, for the Jefferson descendants. Uh, so it took a long time for them uh, to be recognized. This is where we will conclude uh, this series on uh, the Jefferson sisters. Hopefully you found that interesting. I uh, personally don't have um, a lot of in-depth uh, knowledge about American history. My field of study was concentrated on uh, modern Europe and particularly Eastern Europe. Uh, so it, this is very interesting to me. This was a bit of a bummer, I would say, um, just because it blows my mind how a father can be okay with having his children as slaves. Um, so I will do something a bit more light-hearted and uh, stay away from a two or three-part series for a bit. I'm not uh, sure what uh, yet. I'll give it some thought and I hope everyone's doing well. I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.